Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Now that Halloween is over, I've officially moved on to Christmas. I'm getting some decorations out, I'm starting on my handmade gifts, and I'm watching all the Hallmark holiday movies. And of course, our holiday magazines just hit newsstands. So if you're out shopping, make sure to grab American Patchwork and Quilting December and Quilts and More Winter. Both are filled with festive projects and gift ideas that will get you in the spirit of the season. On today's show, we're acknowledging the resourcefulness many of us feel around the holidays. When budgets are tight or we're short on time, we may need some good make-do hacks for our quilting projects. So that's why we're sharing some MacGyver sewing tips to help anyone that finds themselves in a little of a pinch with that last-minute holiday sewing. We also chat with the amazing Stacy West of Buttermilk Basin. It's a conversation you're going to love. So let's dive in. I grew up watching the TV show MacGyver, Do you all remember the show? It stars Richard Dean Anderson as a character who plays sort of like a field agent and kind of like an overall troubleshooter for the Phoenix Foundation. So he's he's known for saving lives and defusing bombs and getting himself out of sticky or dangerous situations. Using basic supplies like his trusty Swiss Army knife, duct tape, a paperclip, and chewing gum. Um, In fact, his problem-solving tactics became so popular that the term MacGyver is now part of our everyday language to mean finding a simple solution to a problem using existing resources. So you can probably see why having some MacGyver solutions up your sleeve could be handy as a quilter. Especially now, Being able to adopt your needs in the sewing room can be handy during these late night sewing sessions when you find out you just don't have the right supplies or you can't wait for a supply to be shipped to you because it's holiday crunch time or because you're on a budget and want to keep sewing without buying all the fancy tools. We thought it would be fun to share a few MacGyver sewing tips so next time you're in a bind, you have a solution that can keep your progress on projects moving forward. The first hack we have to share is a basic one, but it's truly a lifesaver if your machine doesn't come with a quarter inch foot or your projects have an uncommon seam allowance. You can create a custom seam guide on your machine in two easy ways. The first is to stack layers of painter's tape or washi tape to form a type of bumper. And then you place the stack of tape on your machine bed a quarter of an inch away from the needle to use it as a guide. Or you can use a larger rubber band in the same way. Wrap the rubber band around your machine bed a quarter inch away from the needle for a guide. It's so simple and I've used this trick many times myself when a pattern calls for a weird seam allowance, like a half an inch or three eighths of an inch. It doesn't come up very often, but when you have to sew that, it is so handy not to have to mark all your pieces with that seam allowance. You can just mark that line on your machine bed with a rubber band or the tape. 
let's move on to a cutting trick. There are so many sizes of acrylic rulers out there, and they honestly come in handy when you're cutting a lot of pieces the same size of the rulers. But sometimes you don't have the right size ruler on hand, which you know would make cutting the easiest, or you just don't have the space to store that many rulers. So to help make cutting pieces easier, using whatever ruler you have on hand. You can mark off the size needed on top of your ruler with painter's tape or washi tape, and that just helps your eyes easily see the lines to cut to so that you can be quick lining up your fabric without having to constantly double check the lines on the ruler. This is also very handy for fussy cutting fabric too. Speaking of cutting, if you like to work with curves, but don't have a template handy, you can use an old CD or a circular bowl or dish to mark the curves. This is really great if you're making applique circles, want to add curved corners on your quilt, want a scalloped border, or even for trimming corners on a bag or a pillow to avoid those harsh points. If you need help at your ironing station, we have a few tips that may solve some common problems. If your iron is dirty, but you don't have a cleaner on hand, you can rub a dryer sheet on the warm iron to remove any residue or stickiness. And if you're working on a project that requires a lot of pressing between sewing, sometimes it's easier to have an iron and a small ironing board right next to your machine. So you can press quickly while sewing without having to keep getting up and sitting back down. So if you don't have a small pressing station, you can use a hot pad on your sewing table. So easy. For years, I had to plan when I worked on embroidery or applique projects because if I needed to trace a pattern, I used a window in my home. And if it was too dark, I was kind of out of luck until the next day. But you can create your own light box by using the flashlight function on your phone. So you can simply place your phone under a flat surface, such as a glass table or a plastic storage bin, and the flashlight will shine through so that you can trace your patterns, even if it's dark out. <laughs> I have another trick for applique. So we know some people don't do much applique outside the holidays, and therefore may not want to spend money and time on patterns and templates. But you can use cookie cutters or shapes cut from coloring books to make fun applique to embellish your quilts and your gifts. So that's a great use for some of those items that you may only use a few times a year. Let's move on to some English paper piecing hacks. I love EPP, but I always seem to run out of supplies. I don't know how many times I assumed I had more refills for my fabric glue stick and then didn't when I was in desperate need. But if you run out of glue, you can actually use an Elmer's washable glue stick in a pinch. And we know many quilters use fabric glue to hold things like applique pieces in place or even to hold the binding down when you're machine stitching your binding. You can use any Elmer's washable glue if you need something sticky. It won't damage your fabric and it washes out easily. 
And if you run out of pre-cut EPP shapes, you can make your own from manila folders or old business cards you have lying around or even some food boxes made from cardboard if the cardboard is thin enough. If you're marking tons of pieces, such as let's say diagonal lines for triangle squares or machine quilting designs on your quilt top, but run out of marking tools, don't panic. You have tons of options. If you won't see the marks on the finished projects, such as like lines on the wrong side of the fabric, you can just use a pencil or a piece of chalk. If the lines will be on the right side of the fabric, you can mark with a sliver of soap, which will wash out. I know a lot of people don't like to keep the small, small pieces of soap in their shower because they're kind of tedious, but you can use those to mark lines on your quilt. And I've personally even used a butter knife in place of a Hera marker to mark quilting lines on my quilt. So as long as the knife is dull and not serrated, it can step in as a marking tool, and I use that all the time on my quilts. Our last few MacGyver tricks are alternate ways to use some gloves you have lying around. So you can sub in gardening gloves for quilting gloves. Just make sure the gloves are clean or unused. You don't want to smear dirt across your quilt. And if you're desperate for a thimble, you can cut the tips off a rubber glove to create something that has a good grip while you're sewing. Now these are just a few tips, but we hope it sparked an aha moment for some of our listeners or got you thinking about how to use some common household items in your sewing room. Remember, necessity is the mother of invention, so no shame in coming up with some new or interesting ways to get those projects done. We're going to take a quick ad break, but stick around. When we come back, we're chatting with Stacy West from Buttermilk Basin. Welcome back. Now I'm handing it over to Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, for her interview with Stacy West of Buttermilk Basin. Take it away, Jody. This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, and today I'm joined by Stacy West of Buttermilk Basin. Welcome, Stacy. Hello. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell people a little bit about um, your background and how you got started designing patterns, and then also um, how you came up with the name Buttermilk Basin. Sure, I would love to. Actually, back in the day, I grew up in a small town that was rural up by northern Minnesota called Roseau, and I grew up surrounded by three generations of handwork enthusiasts. And one was my great-grandma, Lily. The next one was my great-grandmother, I mean, my grandmother, I'm sorry, Avis. And then the last one was my mother, Linda. And I remember growing up with all of them, whether we were baking, um, you know, hand-braiding rugs, doing hand embroidery, or, you know, just being underneath the quilt frame, simply poking the yarn up, you know, for them to tie the quilt. Um, they were very inspirational um, growing up, and I learned to sew on the treadle sewing machine with great-grandma Lily, so that was exciting, and we still have that sewing machine. 
and I was a big 4-H girl. I absolutely loved 4-H. Um, growing up in rural Minnesota, you know, there's not much to do with a town of 2,500. So the 4-H became a real big part of my life. And the goal was always to get as many grand champions and reserve champions as you can to make sure that you would guarantee a trip down to the state fair, which was, you know, over seven hours away. So that was the biggest thing that actually fueled kind of my creativity more after that I had my strong foundation. So I really enjoyed having the opportunity to get kind of out of Roseau and challenge myself and, you know, earn that trip to the state fair. And so that was kind of phase two. And then, then I got to college. Um, I took all the art classes I could at high school and I actually had to have, I don't know what it was called, probably just like a, one they made up for me. I don't know what the actual term would be. So then I took all that knowledge and I moved on to Bemidji State and I studied Tech Hill graphic design. And part of me was really still stuck in the art world. I really love drawing, figure drawing, working with the different mediums. But then there's a flip side of me knowing that, you know, I don't want to be the starving artist that everybody talks about. So all along, my mom and I had been doing craft shows, and we would do the country folk art show. I don't know. Are you familiar with that one, Jody? Did you Iowa? Right, right. Yeah, so those were always fun, and that was kind of like our higher end, you know, coming down to the cities doing that. So my mom did a lot of the sewing, um, little ornaments, cloth dolls, and then I did woodworking. So we did a lot of ornaments. And so I was published in Decorative Woodcrafts magazine. I also had a book published by Susan Shewe Publications. So I was really, you know, going down that path of, you know, working with my hands, whether it was whichever medium. But the graphic side also took over um, once I got into college. I really loved that aspect about it. I was still doing the shows. And then basically I moved down to the cities, you know, left the fam. And kind of fast forward a little bit, we were still doing everything. I was working at Joan Fabrics. And then before I knew it, my dad passed away suddenly, and I needed to help my mother out. So it happened to be the time when the stock market crashed and everything. So we decided that the international quilt market was coming to town. And what has happened between the time that I had left college and we were doing the shows is that I really made a realization that people can't originate, but they can implement. So therefore, I can draw till there's no tomorrow. So I thought, why not channel that creativity and make, you know, my passion for creating and helping others and helping my mom. And so we started with Pitter Patter Pigtail Girls back in the day. And it's kind of a funny name. And now some people still recognize it and you can still see stuff you know, here and there, so that's pretty cool. But so basically that was the start of it was basically to help my mom and to have me and her work together to get through this. And as we all know, handwork, needlework, sewing, anything that you're passionate about turns into kind of therapeutic. So we were able to work through the grieving process while still doing something we love and getting through it with a little bit of joy and income and I was able to help her and then we grew and 
things took off and we got rid of the woodcraft part. We started to do more stitchery patterns. So then if you fast forward, I had my first daughter, Hannah, and we also have another property in, up north in Rosa. So we turned a early 1900s barn into a, you know, our gift and antique shop with our line you know, of patterns and designs. So that was amazing. We had a great time, but sending paper back and forth for the patterns was not feasible because shipping patterns was really expensive. You know, paper itself shipping is ex expensive, it's heavy. So she took over the mercantile called Yield Mercantile, and then I took over the pattern company. And so then I decided it was time to refresh, rebuild, you know, and follow my passion and do what I loved. Now that, you know, mom was doing well, we were starting a family in the cities. So I ended up opening Buttermilk Basin, and that's my current company name, which you all have fell in love with and enjoyed. And it was named after my great-grandma Lily, who I brought up earlier. And she used to have buttermilk in her fridge nonstop. And that was just a staple. So we took the buttermilk and then we also had to wash our hands in the basin because she never had running water. So I combined the two that kind of were, you know, very vibrant in my memories. And so I took those two and I made buttermilk basin. And to this day, it's still amazing and we're going strong. And the coolest part is, is I think if I can have a name based on something that's important to me and make it a valid, um, strong company in an industry, anything's possible. Because most people think that I'm actually a bakery, but little do they know it's not. But so it's super exciting. And that's kind of how everything developed to where I'm at today. So talk a little bit about um, some different like reincarnations you've had as far as the brick and mortar store and where you've um, maybe just had maybe talk about that a little bit because I know we actually came up and did a profile about three years ago um, and you're moving into different space now than you were at that time. So talk a little bit about the evolution of um, your business as far as a brick and mortar. Absolutely. That's a good point. So one of my highlights in my career is when you guys came up and did that shoot and gave me a spread in APQ. It was just an amazing opportunity and it had been something I had been dreaming about. So that was pretty cool to be. It's something that sometimes, you know, as artists, you always just kind of are always questioning or validating. And there's just a few things that I'm pretty easy going and I just love to create. So I don't really get hung up, but I really love the fact that, you know, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It was just a big thing for me, and I'm so appreciative of that. So, so that space that you actually seen, Jody, actually is we're moving out of it. Since you were there, we actually took over all the suites except for two in that whole building. So we had a strong running shop there. We outgrew it because we had the retail brick and mortar, and then we also had our warehouse department in that building. And so our company is growing kind of like leaps and bounds, and it still is. And so probably a year and a half ago, we moved the warehouse five blocks away into actually a building where my daughter actually, they both did dance here when they were young. So it's kind of amazing how I once sat here as just their mother 
you know, anticipation of them running out, you know, in that little leotards. And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, this whole big warehouse. So then we're still growing and having a good time. And so we decided, you know what, let's do this. So now we just actually are opening up our new shop um, October 15th. And that's on the other side of this building, still five blocks away from the original one. But what's really cool about this building is it's, it is once you come in, you will be wowed because this is all of my favorite things all in one place. There, I guarantee you will be no other shot like it. The reason it's gonna be so cool is it's, it features everything I love. All the things that I've been collecting over the years from antique and vintage, they're all being showcased along with all my quilts, my ornaments, all my different things. So it's really, it's really exciting. The biggest thing I can say about having a brick and mortar store is make sure you're prepared. Because I tell you, the shop aspect of showing up, being there every day, trying to get your other work done and stuff doesn't happen. Because if you're like me, my company really focuses on the experience for the customers. So I always want to make sure if I'm talking to anybody about brick and mortar shop, that they make sure that they know that you have to focus on what your shop is. And for us, it's the experience. And that's more important to us than money or being the biggest or anything. So we just want to have a big you know environment and now we finally do where we can completely devote a lot more time to the customer and the experience and we're super excited well i know there's a couple more things that i want to talk with you about and we're just going to take a quick ad break and then we'll be right back and now i'm back with stacy west of buttermilk basing and we're continuing our conversation and i want to find a little bit more about how you got um, started designing fabric because i know that's another thing that you do in addition to the patterns and having a brick and mortar store um, you also design fabric so maybe talk about how you got started in that and how would you describe your look for people that maybe aren't familiar Oh, that's a great point. I am a huge lover of fabric and wool, and that was kind of another little thing on the bucket list that I've always wanted to check off is designing fabric. I was originally designing for Diamond Textile, and I was really excited to work with her because she brings a lot of the woven. So we came up with a line of wovens or yarn dyes, some of you may know as, and also Civil War reproduction fabric. And I loved loved working with her and I loved having that first line under my belt but I knew that there had to be a lot more that I was missing out on because she was a smaller company I was her first one and I just knew that I had to get bigger so that I could get a lot more to work with and bring more to my customer base in quilt shops around the country so I was approached prior to that as well with Henry Glass so after that contract was up I had already been approached by Henry Glass, so I knew that I was already just going to go right to them because they are very established in the industry, and I had a great three-year run with them, and my lines continued to go, and we actually developed our own line of wool, and so things were super exciting. But there's always a part of me that it's the, like, what's on the other side? Am I missing out? I also fall in love with a lot of the other fabric companies and I'm one that likes to try anything. So again, opportunities 
had already been, you know, given to me. So I went back and I thought, well, I'm going to go work with Holly from Riley Blake because she's a good friend of mine, their shop and with her sister, Pine Needles in Utah. So I thought, because they've been selling my stuff since day one. So I thought, you know what, let's do this because they're a little different. They're innovative and they're, you know, wanting to try different things. So I thought, you know what, I'm young. You only live once. Let's try it. So now I'm really enjoying also working with them. And we're even developing now, not only do we have our Civil War reproduction, which will always be my staple. I will never leave. I'm inspired by antique quilts, you know, all those warm, fuzzy things that I grew up with and those childhood memories. So those are always going to stay near and dear to my heart. But I'm also inspired by what can I do with those? How can I put a fresh spin on it? What can I add to my lines? So therefore, we jumped into wool, and now we're into textured wools. We're also into finished goods. We've got a lot of clipboards and standing pieces and even puzzles. So I'm super excited. So it's just, it's like the funnest industry. So it's it's super cool. So um, <laughs> you're a busy lady. And another thing that you do is that you're the author of quilting books with Martingale. Um, how did that come about? Oh, man. You know, if I could actually do everything, I would totally would. But, you know, when you start kind of with the family and everything, I was given these opportunities back in the day when I was early you know, at first, you don't want to give a lot of your designs away because you honestly do have to make money. You know, there's a long period of time where, you know, I'm starting a new family, uh, my hours are limited. So I couldn't do the books, that the opportunities that came my way all the time. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, it's time. And I've been working with the group from Martingale, and I've never looked back because I'm having the best time. And we're we're actually now even coming out with two books a year because you guys are all loving them and they're doing such an amazing job on the book and the style and we're just loving it. We both are. We're working together. We're having fun things. I'm actually even teaching from my latest book, Buttermilk Basin Ornament Extravaganza book on virtual two through Martingale U with them. So lots of opportunities, lots of fun things there going on. That's wonderful. And, um, so we kind of talked about all the different things that you do in the quilting industry, but if you aren't doing something that's quilt related, which I'm not sure what time you have left, but what would you be doing? Well, A, I'd be going out to lunch with you if we were closer, but we already have done that. So I did do a road trip and that was awesome. So um, so I'd obviously love to spend spend time with the people that I care about, but sometimes I do really like to go junking and vintage shopping. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like a good find or a good pick for me. So I'm a huge junkie girl when it comes to the vintage and collecting. I collect for all seasons, love vintage salvage, architectural salvage. Um, and you can find a lot of these pieces not for sale, unfortunately, at the new shop. So I would go with you any day, Jody. So let's do this. We would have a ton of fun. We would. Now. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but I also know that you follow some sports teams and that you also have a particular musician that you like to follow. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, you mean you do I want to talk about my boyfriend? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest. He may not know we're actually dating, 
But, of course, I need to talk about Rob Thomas. I'm a huge Matchbox 20 junkie. And it's funny you brought that up because today we were just reminiscing about the time um, he was actually at the casino down here um, with Counting Crows that opened for him. And I actually met Counting Crows at, we actually flew out to watch the Golden State Minnesota game. And so actually um, I got to see Mr. Crowning, Counting Crow there. So that was exciting. But I got to go on stage during the whole concert with the Rob Thomas with his Matchbox 20. So man, I am just checking off those bucket lists. I'm telling you, that was probably the best question of the day. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I know you work really hard, and I know that also um, it's important for people to be able to have things outside of what their work is as well. And and um, having uh, benefited from seeing some of your uh, photographs online on your Instagram account, and actually you have two accounts that I think people should follow. Um, why don't you tell us about your two Instagram accounts so people know where to look for your kind of inspiring photos and uh, just to kind of follow the things that you're doing? Absolutely. Um, thank you for that. I actually do have two. I have one that, of course, is Buttermilk Basin, and that's one definitely you do want to follow regardless if you want to follow my other one, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but that one talks about all of my travels. I chose all the pictures that I usually take when I'm out teaching and the shows. And so if you know me or if you don't, you will know that I'm a people person. And my biggest part of my days when I'm out is traveling and teaching, you know, seeing all of you, like I said, I mean, I kind of consider all my, my peeps and my fans here, I kind of consider them just like my BFF. So I really love to connect with them and, you know, showcase their work, et cetera, not just mine, because part of, I love my community and we do a lot of showcasing of that on there as well. But my fun one, which is one that I recently started because everybody wants to see how I use my things or my, what I collect or how I decorate. Because one of the things I'm also kind of known for is to have innovative displays at market and at the shop. So we've actually started 57 buttermilk acres and that's one that you definitely want to keep an eye on because there's big plans for that baby coming up. And that's where you kind of get to see me, what I'm baking, what I'm decorating, my vintage trips. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of inspirational photography on that one, particularly, I think, seasonally based. You do such a great job of yeah. changing out the vignettes for the different seasons and different holidays. And um, it's just really inspirational. And I think people will love following you. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, that's a good time. It has been wonderful talking with you today. And again, uh, if you're looking for Stacy's patterns, um, buttermilkbasin.com. And also uh, her Instagram accounts, make sure that, that you follow those because there's, like I said, tons of inspirational photography there. So thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just loved Jody's chat with Stacy, and boy, do I wish I had as much energy as Stacy does. She does so many amazing things in the industry, and everything she makes is just beautiful. She's got that magic touch. As always, we'll link to all the resources Stacy mentioned in her talk, as well as her social media accounts so that you can stay in touch with her. 
before we leave today, I wanted to share a fun opportunity for our podcast listeners. The week of Thanksgiving, which is coming faster than we think, we're doing a podcast called Count Your Quilty Blessings, and we'd love to hear a story of something or someone that you're thankful for in your quilting life so that we can share it on the podcast. If you'd like to share, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 515-257-6870. You can also email us your story or a voice memo at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Everyone have a great week.